Welcome to Advent. A time of expectant waiting. Not a time where we're reminded of our faithfulness in the waiting, but we're reminded of God's faithfulness in the coming. We all have different ways of organising our lives. Our culture tells us to organise it by seven-day weeks, framed by weekends, by months with 12 different names, and by seasons, four different cycles. But for nearly 2,000 years, Christians have not framed their year by these things, or their life by these things, they've framed it by the Christian calendar. From Advent, through to Lent, through to Easter, through to ordinary time, and rinse and repeat with a few special days thrown in there. And as people, as followers of Christ, have organized their life around these rhythms, they've found a way of freshly engaging in the story of Jesus year after year. And we come to one of those significant times where really, yeah, our culture around us, you can go to the mall, there's Christmas decorations up, you can go to Kmart and there's some carols playing. You know, you can go and and the culture at large is engaging within the season, but it's important to realize that there's an opportunity for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus to engage in it, not in a way driven by consumerism, but in a way driven by God's presence. And I hope today as we open up the season of Advent, I hope above all else that my message draws you in to want to do this next month a little bit differently than perhaps how you've done this month in previous years. That really is my end goal. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why did he say that? Because how we perceive God to be, what we imagine he might be like, when we are thinking what he might think about certain things, our image of God determines how we relate to God. And how we relate to God determines the substance of our lives. So what we think about God might just be the most important thing about us. Katie and I were out for a lunch last week and uh, in the table next to us, we were at a restaurant at the table next to us, our ears pricked up at a conversation. We're eavesdropping on our you know, restaurant neighbours anyway. And, uh, and uh, the reason our ears pricked up is because one person said with sort of like a grudged voice, like a sort of like a moaning, uh, whining voice to their friends at the table, they said, we've got to go to church tomorrow. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, this sounds interesting. Let's... <laughs> and they went and they went on to talk about, we're just really locked in now, you know, like, shh. Um, <laughs> They went on to talk about how it was something to do with one of their, you know, kids in the school and they had to go to the service as a part of this thing. And then they went on, the the friends started mocking them. Well, you'd be lucky if God doesn't strike you down with lightning. 
as you walk on into that. I think the whole thing's gonna catch on fire and collapse on you. Now, like this, this whole story ended up emerging and in that we could hear what people think about God. We could hear, isn't it interesting that even people that didn't know God or have a faith in God, they thought about God that, you know, God's very different than them and perhaps they don't match up. And perhaps God might be so protective of that not matching up that what would God do about that if they were to ever walk into one of his churches? He'd strike them down with lightning. What, would, what we think about when we think about God might just be the most important thing about us. Our mindsets, like these people's mindsets about God, often keep us at a distance from him. But Christmas isn't about staying at a distance from God. Christmas is a reminder that God draws near to us, no matter our state. Let's turn, if you would, with me to John chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. The one who, who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. Well, you'll know what he's talking about there. But a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, or maybe in your version, grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we've all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness, his grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son is himself God and is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What we think about God might just be the most important thing about us. We've got to explain a bit of this verse before we go on in it. The Word, 
The Word, the Word became flesh. The Word was there in the beginning. Everything that was created was created through the Word. It seems like a weird way to go about saying it. But the Bible and the New Testament definitely was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And the Greek word that's being translated there is this word logos. And this word, there isn't a good English translation for. There isn't a complete, the best they could do is word, but it's not talking about like spoken words or saying words or written words. It's, it's incomplete. The, the word is this, it's really like a Greek concept, logos. And the best we could probably do is maybe divine wisdom. Divine wisdom was there in the beginning, but it's not just so much a word as what the writer is trying to like portray here is more of an idea or a concept that to the Greeks, you know, in the same way that through huge portions of the world, westernized, like everything that could be summarized by Western culture, like in, in Jesus' day, most of his, his known world could have been summarized by Greek culture. And in Greek culture, this idea of logos, this divine wisdom, this was what the culture was all about. This was the highest aspiration of the culture. If we could achieve divine wisdom, people talked about it, they pontificated about it, they philosophized about it, they, they, they wanted to grab a hold of or grasp this idea of logos. That's what their whole culture was about. And so it's this very important word to the Greeks and it's also an important concept to the Jews because in the Greek version of Genesis, the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, actually the, this, it echoes back to Genesis chapter one where it, says, it tells us about how God created the world and it says that He spoke it into being. He logos, this divine spoken wisdom it into being. And so in this moment, in, in what John is really trying to say is everything the Greeks are looking for in their lives and everything the Jews want to know more was there at the beginning and is now turned up. Perhaps if you were to rewrite John chapter one right now for today's culture, you might say in the beginning was love and love was with God, and love was God, and everything that's been created was created through love because that's what our culture wants. And so John is doing this genius thing. He's saying the Word, this wisdom, this love, this creative being, everything people have desired came near and has turned up in this earth. He's moved towards us. He's made his home among us. I don't know what you're like with mess, but I'm not a big fan of it. I wouldn't say I move towards mess unless it's to clean it up. You know, even a couple of nights ago, I went to go sit down in the living room and there's piles of washing on the floor between me and the TV. I could see the TV perfectly fine, but it was not gonna be, I could not relax until we dealt with the washing. So what did I do? I called the kids in uh, <laughs> to come and collect their washing. So, cause I wanna be away from the mess. I mean, my team knows, like I don't like mess. My family knows I don't like mess. I sit down at my desk, everything has a place. It's sounding OCD, I know. But it's just, I don't, I don't like mess. I don't move towards mess. In fact, I often move away from the mess. But God's not like that. 
God's a little bit like our robot vacuum cleaner. Get that, that'll bless your marriage. Um, little robot vacuum cleaner. And when it goes across a patch that it sees is quite messy, it doesn't go off to the next, it doubles back and keeps going until it gets it clean. I don't know how it knows. It's amazing. Robots are taking over the world. It sees the mess, it moves towards the mess. God is very much like that. God easily could have waited for perfect conditions. You know when you invite someone over to your home, what are you normally doing right before they come over? You're cleaning up. Right, you know, you just put that away, put that, hide that in there, you know, like it's like asking your kids to clean their room. It looks clean until you open the wardrobe or look under the bed and you just realise the mess has just moved. You know, like that's all that's happened. But like when we have people over, often we're trying to clean things up so that they would come and feel comfortable. But God's not like that. God does not shy away from the mess and we don't need to clean up the mess for God to draw near to us. In fact, there would have been many more times in human history that would have been more ideal times for God to turn up on this earth. When He turned up in the first century, there was a violent, oppressive empire that was slaughtering people in the streets. The Jews were under extreme political oppression. Poverty and famine were normal parts of life. And God could have said, well, when you guys are pretty good, when you've got everything sorted, when you're getting along with each other well, when there's not where war, then I'll turn up. But no, in the midst of human mess, God draws near. In the midst of suffering, God draws near. In the midst of our sin, He doesn't send lightning bolts. He draws near that we would become His righteousness. He moves towards our pain that He would be our comforter. He moves towards our questions that He might become our answer. God doesn't move away from mess. He makes His home among it. And I need all of us to be reminded of that today. That no matter the state of our lives, no matter the state of our hearts, no matter the state of our minds, God loves to draw near to mess. He's not afraid of it. He loves to draw near to it and to be present among it. Just look at who He picked as disciples. He overlooked the religious elite. He overlooked the people with the clean lives and that looked like they had it all together and He chose the riffraff. If there was any accusation that was most common against Jesus, it wasn't that He spoke the wrong words, it was that He hung out with the wrong people. He drew near to the mess. And if He could draw near to people like that, He could draw near to me. And He could draw near to you. He draws near. And because He draws near, we get to know what He's truly like. You know, it's easy to think people are one way from a distance. It's a whole nother thing when they get close. It's easy to make things look good at a distance. That's what social media is all about, right? 
make it look a certain way, make it appear a certain way. Look at my life, it's amazing, buy my products. That's the, that's the influencer game, right? Like make it look a certain way. That's easy. But when somebody's close, it's really hard to pretend. When people draw near, when you get close to somebody's life, you know what they're really like, not just what they want to present themselves to be like. Nothing like marriage to cure all the facades. <laughs> Nothing like marriage to confront human selfishness. Katie and I celebrated 17 years of marriage yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Cue the clapping. <laughs> She knows what I'm really like. She said, amazing. But she knows what I'm really like. She, John Maxwell said it like this, his definition of success. I want the people closest to me to respect me the most. Because he knew what we all know, it's easy to fake it with the acquaintances. But if as people get closer, they discover more gold rather than less, perhaps we're the real deal. As people got close to Jesus, John, who perhaps was Jesus' closest friend, he spoke of himself in the Gospel of John as the one who Jesus loved. They had a special bond. We're all the ones who Jesus loved. Don't worry, don't be left out. But there's a special bond. And him knowing him intimately as he got closer, his summary was this, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus could have faked it with all those people just listening to his sermons, but John saw him in his dark moments. John saw him at his best moments. John saw him when the line of people that wanted another miracle from him extended beyond the daylight hours. John saw him when he was exhausted. John saw him when he couldn't please anyone. John saw him when everybody left him and ran away. John even saw him on the cross. And John said, this guy's the real deal, full of grace and truth. We, we, we sometimes seem to go between one or the other. You know, when, it, when we all want to be treated with lots of grace, and then we want to treat other people with lots of truth. <laughs> right? We want to be judged for our intentions. We want to judge others for their actual actions. Jesus embodied both. This holistic idea of love, grace and truth together, unfailing love and faithfulness He's drawn near and we can know he's the real deal. What we think about God might just be the most important thing about us. I love that we can see God most clearly in Jesus. He has revealed him to us and we can see Jesus most clearly on the cross, giving his love for us. Sometimes we can read the Old Testament and get confused. Sometimes we can have our unanswered prayers and we can start 
asking questions about God's character. Sometimes we can be carrying deep disappointments and we can be wondering, how could a God who loves allow this or do this or seem to not, you know, work in this way in our lives? But we don't know God most fully through our unanswered prayers. We know God most fully through Jesus. And so if we can, like, as the writer of Hebrews said, fix our eyes upon Jesus as we run our race, there's something about that that keeps revealing God's nature most clearly to us. If you're getting confused about who God is, read the Gospels over and over and over again and fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you'll know Him. And I love that he draws near and he reveals God to us and the invitation then becomes we can draw near to him too. I love that Jesus turns up, God turns up and he first turns up with his presence. You know, before he, um, before he does any miracles, before he teaches any lessons, before he does any sermons, before he does any healings, he's just first present with humanity. He's just a baby, just God with us. Sometimes we can be so quick to wanna do things for God, to wanna get on with our lives serving God, to want to make a difference for Him, to want to live like Him in this world that we forget that what God wants most from our lives is our presence. He wants us to learn to be present with the one who's present with us. As we do that more, we will find we become more like Him. As we spend more time with Him, just being present, we will find we're able to do the things that Jesus would do if He was us. I remember growing up as a teenager, I was really into surfing. And I'm old enough that we had surf videos and video meant a VHS tape that you put into this giant thing that was under your very thick TV. Does anyone remember these times? Yes. You know, the, the, the cutting edge TV technology was rear projection, okay? Like, that's like, it was huge. Anyway, we would, if I wasn't surfing, we would watch our favourite surfers on surfing videos and we'd watch them and then we'd go out surfing and then when we went surfing, we'd watch them and then we'd go out surfing. And the whole idea was that as we looked upon them, as we were present with them, we would be able to emulate them in the water. That we would, know, we would naturally be able to do the things that they did in the way that they did it. And this is why a great writer once said this, he said, to be his image bearers, we must first gaze upon his image. This is the invitation of Advent, is to become present with God in a new way so that we might gaze upon his image and therefore be better image bearers. There's so much of Christianity that absolutely is taught but if all it is is taught, we'll never catch it because it has to be caught. It's caught from being in God's presence. And here's the irony of the way our culture wants us to do this next month. It wants us to rush around. It wants us to spend more money than we have. 
It wants us to be stretched with lots of social engagements. And it wants us to tell ourselves that it's okay because when Christmas Eve comes, it's okay when Christmas comes, it's okay when the holidays come, then I'll be present. Then I'll be rested. Then I'll be with my family. Then I'll value what's most important. But the invitation from God right now is to do the month differently. God draws near. He has revealed His nature to us. So let's respond by drawing near to Him. What if this month wasn't about rushing, but was about prayer? What if it wasn't about getting everything done, but it was about reading our Scriptures and praying around our tables? What if rather than getting up because there's so much to do, we just sat in a chair or went for a walk and spent more time with God over this month because He didn't come close so that we'd be busy with everything else thinking one day I'll spend time with Him. He came close so we could know His presence today and everything that comes with His presence. And His presence is the fullness of joy. That's why the carol today is we will sing joy because that's what comes when God comes near. In His presence, we get His peace. Ability to have a lot of things flying around us, but everything to be still in here. In His presence, we know love like no human could ever give us. Let's draw near to Him. Let's be a church who is rebellious against the way our culture wants to celebrate Christmas. Let's engage in expectant waiting. And let's not just spend time with Him, but let's wonder about who He might be calling us to draw near to too. In the same way God is present with us and asking us to be present with Him, there's an invitation in this season to not be people who run away from the mess, to not be people who run away from the poor, to not be people who run away from the hurting because we're so busy with all of our Christmas stuff, but that through Advent, we're not just present with God, but we're present with those hurting and needy around us. This should be a time where the church is active at drawing near to others in their mess in the same way God is active and drawing near to us in ours. They need to see a reflection of God's goodness through us. As much as life might be tough for many people in this room, it's tougher for somebody else and we can draw near. So I wonder if as you're at home or as you're walking down the street, you could use some of the normal Christmas iconography as a reminder of the things we've talked about today. Or perhaps every time you see a Christmas light or you turn on the Christmas tree in the evening or you see it through a neighbour's window, rather than thinking that's pretty, we could think, that's right, God's presence has drawn near. The light of the world has come.
I wonder if every time we see the tree, we could be reminded that He's full of grace and truth. He's full of life and life to the fullest. If we could think of that when we think of the tree. And I wonder if when we see the presence, I don't just think, oh, I wonder what that is. But I wonder if we could be reminded that the greatest gift we could give anybody in this time, including God, is our presence. To be present with God and to be present with others. And as you are with others, celebrating a meal, having a drink or whatever it is, I wonder if in this season, you could think about who it is that God is calling you to draw near to in your life, that you might be able to be a glimmer of hope to them in this season. Here's the thing, we all know it when we've been in our pain. We don't need people to come with the answers and the solutions. We just need them to bring their presence. Just need them to sit with us. So let us pray as we enter Advent. Heavenly Father, Thank You for drawing near. Thank You for coming close. Thank You that when we see You up close, You just get better and better the closer You get. Thank You that You are full of grace and truth, unfailing love and faithfulness. May we all know it in the depths of our soul. Lord, teach us and help us to practice being present with You and with others in this season. And we offer up our lives to be sent by You, to be present with the hurting, the broken and the mess around us, that we might be reflections of Your image. In Jesus' Name, Amen.